about to. Thank you. Hey, good morning. Thanks so much for tuning into the live broadcast. The weather outside is frightful. If you're in Metro Detroit, here's Ann. Hi, Ann. It's true. They're here. They're in the house. Guys, we're starting a brand new series today. It's all about family. It's all about parenting. We're so glad you've tuned in, especially if you're snowed in. The weather outside is really nasty. So we hope you're safe. We hope you're uh, you're warm and doing well. But anyway, we're so glad you've tuned into the broadcast today. You know, a lot of times... Uh, for those of you who are tuned in, it feels like you're just looking through the window. But we want to let you know that you are such an integral part of this family. We're so uh, glad that we consider you our Kensington family. So I say that to say, if there's anything we can ever do for you, if there's any way we can serve your family or add value to you, please don't hesitate to reach out. We love you so much and are so glad you've tuned in today. But again, David and Ann are in the house today. It's going to be an awesome series. Uh, and we're going to go get going here in literally 60 seconds. But again, stay safe, stay warm. We'll talk to you again really soon. Bye-bye.
tea The milkman, the paperboy The evening TV You miss your old familiar friends She's here. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on a playground is where I spent most of my days. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool. I'm shooting some b-ball outside of the school when a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got one little fight and my mom got scared. She said, you're living with your auntie, your uncle, and Bel I whistled for a cab and when it came here, the license plates, the fresh, and there were dice in the mirror. If anything, I could say that this cab was rare, but I thought, nah, forget it. You're home to Bel I pulled up to a house around seven or eight and I yelled to the cab of your home, smile you later. Looked at my kingdom, I was finally there. Sitting on my throne, I just went to Bel Air. All right, come on, Josh Horn. Give it up for Josh Horn and the, and the band. As the Fresh Blitz Prince of Rot Bel Air, who knew he could rap, let alone those dance moves, right? Um, you never know what you're going to get when you come, but hopefully that was worth braving the weather for today. Um, but th- we thought that medley would be a perfect beginning to where we're headed together over these next three weeks as we kick off a new series called It's Just a Phase. We're going to be looking at what God has to say at the different phases of child development. So whether you're single, newly married, maybe you're in the thick of the parenting years right now, or maybe you're an empty nester headed toward grandparent years, this series has something for everyone, Um, because we really believe uh, that we are are all play a critical role in raising the next generation. So we are excited that you're going to be journeying with us. Um, Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Kensington. My name's Becky. I'm on our campus team here. Um, And again, whether you're here live, you brave the weather, or whether you're tuned in online watching at home, all cozy in your jammies and your hot chocolate, um, we are so glad that you're here with us. I mean, if you are new around this place, or maybe you've been coming for a while, but you haven't uh, plugged in yet. We want to invite you to stop by to our starting point area after the service. I'll be out there um, along with our team in those bright orange t-shirts and we would love to meet you, um, answer any questions you have, tell you a little bit more about who we are and we even have a free gift for you to take home. So uh, stop by after the service. All right, well, one of the things that we love and value around this place are students, um, middle school students and high school students. Uh, we have a ministry called Breakaway that is for middle school students that meets here um, at 6 p.m. during our Sunday night service. And then Edge, our high school ministry, meets at 745 um, right over here as well. So if you've been here on a Sunday night, you've seen the high energy and uh, the crazy fun that happens over there. We're hoping uh, that if you haven't checked it out, you will check it out 
next week because this week, uh, tonight, we have canceled and rescheduled our breakaway event, and we are also canceling Edge just because of the icy roads. We don't want to take any chances. Uh, but we have two epic events coming up for breakaway, our middle school. One is our United event. Again, it was canceled tonight, rescheduled for next week. Uh, it's actually happening at our Troy campus. All six campuses will come together for a fun night. Uh, we'll be heading out from buses here next Sunday at 4.30. Um, you can get details online or out in the lobby about that. And then the big event of the year is coming up. It's called Takeover. It's happening March 9th. And you guys, it is an all-night-long middle school party. I know that sounds crazy, uh, but it is fun all night long. <clears throat> Kids hop on buses, stop at a lot of places. Um, literally, you guys, students talk about this event all year long. Uh, my kids, when they were in middle school, uh, always invited friends to come along, and it was like a big thing on our calendar. So hopefully, you can check that out. And you might say, why would we do a crazy all-night party for middle schoolers? Well, really simply put, we believe that fun can open the door for Jesus to move in students' lives. Um, so again, parents, students, if you've been kind of on the edge about checking out our student ministries, we want to invite you to come back um, next Sunday night and uh, check it out right here. Uh, at Orion. So, um, all right, you guys, before we jump into the rest of the service, uh, we are going to have Dave and Ann Wilson up here together, which is always one of my favorite uh, weekends when they're teaching together. And I know for my husband, Don, and I, we have um, learned so much over the years from Dave and Ann's parenting. Um, it's not perfect, but they are great teachers uh, along the journey. So uh, again, we're so glad you're here with us today. Why don't you stand up and uh, say hi to somebody around you? How many of you guys came ready to party today? Hey, after that, after driving on those roads, you guys probably loosened up quite a bit, eh? Amen? Hey, I need you to stand with us. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something real fun, so stand up. Okay, now how many of you, honestly, be honest with me. I need honesty right now. How many of you guys in the car, there's one of two things that happens if somebody looks over at you, and there's one of two awkward things that might be happening in a car, is you might see somebody picking their nose, which is really gross. That's number one. But that's not what we're going to do today. Or you see people, like, just having a straight-up dance party, like, going hard. How many of you guys have, like, in-the-car dance parties? Let's be honest. There's, some of you are lying. I mean, even if it's this, like, the cool dad dance party. You feel good? Feel good? Yeah, yeah. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have, we're going to pretend that we are all in a car right now together. And we're going to have a, a dance party. Are you guys cool with that? But I'm not talking about, like, trying to be cool, like Justin Bieber dancing. I'm saying, like, in-the-car dancing where you think you look cool, but you really don't. We're going to do that. And I want to loosen us up a little bit and have some fun with that. Sound good? Right, come on, any more response? Sound good? Yeah. I, somebody shook their head no over there. I saw that, man. I'm going to be looking at you the whole time. <laughs> Let's do it. Put your hands together. Come on, everybody. Staring into your eyes makes my heart come alive. Suddenly brought to life when I met you 
I know, I know. I'm so sorry, honey. Girls can be mean. Be careful. And remember, everyone out there is an idiot. Oh. Oh, honey, you look so beautiful. What's his name? Seriously? Look at you. My goodness. Honey, we're really proud of you. Okay, you're gonna do great. I'll FaceTime you around four every day. <laughs> we'll see about that. Are you okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. It just went so fast. I know. I know. Yeah, I mean, as many of you know, we're empty nesters now, so that's the phase we're in, and I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's a great phase, but I mean, think back of, you know, raising three boys and the phases they go through. I can remember uh, our oldest, when he, when he got his license and he drove off out of our cul-de-sac the first time. I mean, I don't know if you were standing beside me. I was like me. on my knees in the other room, like <laughs> begging God to keep him. I mean, I literally watched him drive out. From the front window, I just thought he's going to kill everybody. It's a, <laughs> you know, it was just such a scary moment. It's like God, please! And I'm not kidding. That son had four wrecks in our driveway. <laughs> I am not yeah, kidding. We had a, people come over one time to a small group at our house, and they had never been in a small group. You know, what it's like when you go to church, but then you're like, small groups like scary, and they're real nervous, and they're sitting there. And CJ says, "Hey, I got to go," and he leaves, and I hear him go. Right into their car. And their daughter was in the car. Yeah. Did you forget about that? I don't remember. She's okay. Everything's fine. Um, but I mean, the, the phases we went through. What was oh. your favorite, favorite phase? Like, I think now that our kids are gone, I've realized there are great things and hard things of every single phase, aren't there? But I'm telling you, I felt like as a teenage parent... A, you weren't a teenage <laughs> I didn't mean that. We didn't get as pregnant a, in high school, in as, case you're wondering. As a parent of teenagers, I remember always feeling like a failure. Like, I am failing them. I'm messing them up so bad. It was a day just like today, really snowy. And we did our life with a bunch of families. Like, we raised our kids with other families because we're not from here, so we didn't have family in town. So we went to this big party, an ice skating party, and we had this big spread of food. CJ was 14, so they were 14, 12, and 9. And it was just, he had a bad attitude, CJ, was 14-year-old. And never, I, never do 14-year-olds oh have bad attitudes. Oh, my gosh. I was so mad at him the whole time. We come in the house, and somebody's like, hey, everybody, let's gather around the food and pray. It's silence because we're getting ready to pray. And CJ says, this food looks like crap. <laughs> And I am like, oh, my gosh, you're embarrassed as a, as a parent, right? Like, oh, my, that's, and so it reflects on it, it, you. It was really bad food. I, I, I agree. Oh, my gosh, it was awesome food. <laughs> so then, you guys, this is, I'm giving him these looks because his attitude's stinky the whole time. We're leaving, and I say, hey, CJ, could you put Cody on your back? Because he didn't bring shoes. He wore his ice skates there. He goes, what? I don't want to. Like, why do I have to do everything? I am so mad, and he's saying this in front of everybody. So we leave. He's walking down the steps with Cody on his back, and I am right on his heels. Like, you are so in trouble. Your attitude has been so terrible. And I'm talking. And we get- I, I, I'm laughing because I've seen this face so many times. <laughs> so, she gets intense. We get to the car, and he 
He, draw, he pushes Cody like here, and he gets in, and there's this big snowbank right beside CJ. And you guys, I just couldn't help it. You know, this is, this is, and I look at it, I look at the snowbank, and I just go, bam. Ugh. I push him in, he falls into the snowbank. I get in the car and I lock all the doors. <laughs> and now he's banging, my mom, what are you doing? Let me in. And Dave comes out, he's like, what, what is, what's happening, you guys? What's going on? That's sort of my role. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I got in the car like, I am the worst parent. I, and I told Dave, I will never speak on parenting again. <laughs> Here we are. Aren't you so glad? Like, funny. Wow. She told that service the first, that story the first service. People start cheering like that's what you do with teenagers. <laughs> Throw them in a snowbank and drive away. And yet away. that was probably my favorite phase. I love teenagers. Oh, really? It was. Is that right? Even though you fail all the time, it doesn't mean you're a failure. Yeah. You know, what, what's really interesting is, obviously, now we're empty nest. In fact, we have a picture. This is our family. Some of you don't know. Uh, this is the stage we're in now. Um, on the far, on your far right is our youngest, Cody, and his wife, Jenna. They live right here in Rochester. They're on staff here, and uh, you've heard Cody speak. CJ, our, uh, right beside Ann, right there in the middle, our oldest, and his wife, Rob, and they live in Ferndale. And then our two grandkids are with Austin and Kendall on your far left. They're out in Denver, Colorado, Parker, Colorado, actually. And we just spent... A week, two weeks ago, I think I told you that last week, with Olive there on the left and Porter, my man Porter there, watching them as their grandparents. Okay, I'm just tell them about that week. It was just wonderful. I just want you to know, as you get older, you think, oh, if we could relive those phases. I remember thinking, I would do it so different. I would like you more, (laughs) and I would. Our marriage would be better because we've learned so much and we're mature. I'm telling you, we were there by the second day. I couldn't stand Dave. And all of our old issues came back up because he kept saying, hey, uh, you take care of the kids. I'm going to go do a project in the garage. <laughs> you think it's so funny? I was trying to love my son and daughter-in-law by doing things they needed done on their house. And it's like, what are you doing? You can't leave me with the kids. It was just like when the kids were little. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I went to Home Depot so many times they knew me as Grandpa and Porter. Every time I walk in there and she's home and I walk in, she give me that eye like, what are you doing? Like we're a team. We're, we're supposed a team. to do this together. And, 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 and I remember in those days when we had toddlers, the game that you play, you don't realize it. It isn't a game at all. It's like both of you are comparing your lives to the other one. My life is so much harder than your life, right? I, mine was harder. <laughs> it probably was. But uh, so, you know, every phase has its unique uh, uniqueness about it. Yeah. It's, it's and- awesome. It's really, really hard at different stages. And, you know, it's really interesting is, you know, you think about these phases. I remember a mom that was like 10 years uh, ahead of us with their kids. Oh, yeah. Every time we were around this mom, she would tell us how bad the next phase is going to be for us. Wait till your child turns two. Oh. It's horrible. That's yeah. what she'd say. And then wait till middle school. Oh, my gosh. And so we were, like, scared to go into each one. And then I mean, we look back now, and, yeah, they were hard and difficult. But and fun. yet they were awesome. And they're, they were great phases. And I think as you think about this series, it's just a phase. Don't miss it. I think a lot of parents are like, it's just a phase. I just got to get through it. Yeah. And I think there's another perspective. It's just a phase. Don't miss it. There's actually incredible things in each phase. And we're not going to talk about every single phase, but more of a, today's more of an overview to start. But let me say this about parenting. This series isn't just for parents. Yeah. Obviously, it applies to parents, but it applies to all kinds of people, not just parents. And by the way, it doesn't just apply to perfect little families like ours, right? Which and, you now know. That and you know we're not perfect, but people still around here think, oh, the Wilsons, because we're on stage, I guess. But 
man, oh man, we're not at all. And we try to share struggles about how it really was. But it's often easy to think, well, this series is for a husband and wife who are still together, mom and dad who never got divorced. No, it's for every family, blended families. Oh my gosh. Families that have blended, it's a whole nother animal. Uh, single parents, like my mom was a single mom. Single dads, this applies to you. Here's, here's the other thing. A lot of you single people think this isn't for me. Here's what we're going to teach. For the next three weeks, we're going to talk about principles that apply to mentoring anybody. Mm-hmm. So if you're a coach or a teacher or you have anybody that's following you and everybody has somebody that they can pour into, these principles apply to basically everybody. So here's, here's where we want to start. It's like, it's interesting, all these different phases. I was reading uh, Facebook the other day of a former Detroit Lion player, his wife, Corin, was talking about she has two little boys, and she literally she posted three kids, this. but two younger boys. Yeah, this is a post from a mom who's got toddlers. On she's, Instagram. She said, things I actually have to say out loud to my sons. We do not fart on people we aren't related to. <laughs> I thought that is so true. I mean, we were... We've been in that phase. So, um, so here's, here's the thing. I want to just give you a, a, a 30,000 foot sort of perspective. Parenting is a high calling. Mm-hmm. Mentoring or impacting the next generation in whatever way you do it is an incredibly high calling. I've never forgotten this quote from Andy Stanley, a pastor down in Atlanta. He said this, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Now, he's not saying what we do as parents or what we do as individuals isn't important. He's saying it's very important. But often we think it's something we did, and it's like, man, we are, we are sort of entrusted by God with the next generation, and they are something we're going to raise that could do greater things than we ever dreamed uh, for the future. So here's what we want to do. We want to sort of... Uh, Step back. And by the way, we're going to do a three-week series on parenting, but I'm telling you, some of you need to take the intentional parenting class that starts next week. It's going to be all during all three services. So you can go to any, you can come to church and then go to intentional parenting class. It'll be right here in the building. It's phenomenal. what phase? It's for all the phases. It's really uh, Doug Fields and his wife, who's a a master communicator, just talking about parenting. And we're going to barely touch on it. We're going to, you're going to feel like today, one guy came up and said, I wish you had another hour. I'm like, no, you don't. You wouldn't want to sit here for for an hour, but we're going to try and share everything we we can in week one in 30 minutes or so. And there's so much more. So sign up for that class. So here's, here's the key question. I said this last week at the Super Bowl service. Wow. What a Super Bowl, by the way. Was that fun to watch? At the halftime show, anyway, anyway, forget that. We're not going to talk. We're not going to talk. I don't know. I thought Josh Corn's better than Justin Timberlake. Did you see Josh dancing? That was pretty good. <laughs> that was pretty good. So here's the key question. I said this. Most parents never ask. If you walk up to most parents and say, "What are you trying to raise? What's your goal?" Let's say they got a one-year-old or a fifteen-year-old or eight-year-old or, or a seventeen-year-old, and you say, "Okay, what's your goal? What are you trying to do? What 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 would what would be your dream of what this son or daughter will become as an adult?" Do you know most parents can't answer that question. I would have said, with little toddlers, I'm trying to survive. That's my goal is to survive this stage. And I would say, I'm trying to make love to you once a year. You know, with little toddlers, <laughs> that never happened. Where'd that come from? Anyway, anyway. Um, yes, sir. That's so mean. Mean. You remember those days, anyway. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, step back for a second and think, what is the goal? Last week we talked about a great team has a mission. They know what they're shooting for. The same thing is true for a parent. Most parents, because we don't really think about it or write it down, by the way, no Fortune 500 company doesn't have a written mission statement. This church, Kensington, has a written mission statement. You've got to know what you're 
what you're aiming at. It's no different as a parent. So most parents sort of fall into what the culture says. We don't really think about it. So we're like, well, I guess I'm trying to raise like a, a good kid, you know, happy, successful, like well-rounded, well-educated. And it's like, that's it. And there's nothing wrong with any of those. Those, yeah, are, those are awesome. Those are wonderful. But I think the bar's too low. It's like God's like, I don't know, I got something so much better. I mean, I was watching the Olympics last night. You know, it's so interesting to think those athletes aren't really very well-rounded. They're skilled in one thing. That's why they're in the snowboarding slope scope or whatever they called that thing last night. That red guy from whatever one. But I mean, I thought they're, they're so skilled in one thing. Now, are they well-rounded? Do they do a lot of different things? Yeah, but as parents, we always think, man, they got to be in everything. They got to be in drama and, and ed sports. class and sports and, you know, everything. It's like, no, there's going to be some time where you step back as a parent and you're like, wow, they're really good at this. They're gifted. They're wired. Uh, so what, how can we nurture that, that they would be good in this one thing? And that's what they do because God put them on this planet. Or, or tell me this. Tell me we don't bow at the altar of well-educated, which is awesome to get an education. I mean, like college is like, so for so many people, they think it's the minimum. And yet when I try to hire people, I'm not often looking for great education. I'm looking for great character. And as a parent, we should be thinking more about character than education. Again, they both matter. How about this one? Happy. I just want my son or daughter when they're, when they're 20-some to be happy. We get into a lot of sin just to find happiness or, or successful. What's, who defines that? You step back and you think, what did Jesus say about success? Think of this one. Jesus said, what does it profit a man or woman to gain the whole world, that's success, and lose his soul? So it's like, man, as a parent, it's like I want to go before God, especially if we're thinking about this from God's standpoint or a Christian standpoint, and say, okay, God, what would your mission be for us as parents to try and raise our kids spiritually, what would that look like? And by the way, I always say this, never judge yourself as a parent until your kids are like 25. It's so easy when they're in high school and they're making decisions that aren't yours. You're like, oh, I failed as a parent. Don't ever do that. Wait till they're 25. And now I have a 32-year-old, so I say, wait till they're 35 to, no. to say how you're doing. I'm kidding. I know. I'm kidding. But it's so easy to, to do that. And so all we want to do is sort of pull back and say, okay, what would be a parenting mission? By the way, we're going to give you one that we've sort of shaped off of a, another pastor named Craig Rochelle. This doesn't need to be yours. This should, I hope, make you to sit down after the service and say, what is ours? I think what what for, do we want to do? Talk about it. I think for you just to have a conversation, whether it's um, with you, with your spouse, with a, maybe your divorce, and so, but to find out, to have a conversation, do you have a goal? Like, what do you think your mission is? This is what I'm thinking. And even to pray about it, God, what is your mission for, our, for this child? I think that's one of the biggest things even before you start. I felt like when each one of our kids were born, they were all in the ICU after they were born. They all had complications, every single one of them. And I felt every single time like God was saying this to me, will you let me have your child? And you know, as a new mom, I was like, no. Because you have that sense of, oh my gosh, this is the biggest gift. Like, I'm, you're just holding on to them so tight. And I felt like every single child, even the last one after Cody was born, the, guy, the doctor came in and I knew who he was like, oh my gosh, come on again. He's like, yeah, he stopped breathing. And every time God was saying, can you let me have your child? I think if you do nothing else but that, Father, we surrender. I surrender this child to you. They're yours and they're not mine. And then you ask God, and what is the plan? What is the mission? What should 
I, what do you want me and us to do as a parent? That's good. It's really good because it starts there and then you ask that question, okay, what target would you want us? Because they're really his kids. Yeah. They're on loan to us, but he's going to raise them. And, and he use knows us. them because he created yeah. them. And so there's something that he has in store. So for us to say, Father, what is it? What do you have in store? And how do you want me to help partner with you? And so we wrote down these four sort of, sort of character qualities, really, that we would dream to raise our kids. I'm not saying our kids became this or are becoming this, but here's, here's something to shoot for. And again, go home, talk about it, talk about it with your small group, talk about it with your spouse. Uh, we said to say the parenting mission would be this, train and release, here they are, identity-based, Christ-centered, Bible gps culture shifters. Now, those are our phrases, and we're going to explain those here in a second, but it was just a way to say, okay, first of all, look at that. The first two words are really, really important. It is our job as parents to train them. Not the church's job, our job. Not the school's job, our job. Now, can the school and church help? Of course. And we're going to talk about that in a second And when we talk about strategy. But when we talk about mission, it's like, no, God calls the parents to train the kids. That's our job. It isn't somebody else's job. That is something we accept. I remember one time my middle son, Austin, was driving back to college and he had a flat tire on the highway. How did I know that? He called home. Ann was on the phone talking to him. And I heard Ann saying, you know, call AAA, they'll send somebody out and change your tire. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, 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 give me the phone, give me the phone. She's like, no, no, I got it. I go, give me the phone. I go, Austin, what's going on? I'm on the side of I-94, flat tire. I go, what and I'm thinking it? somebody could hit him. Like, you should have somebody else. And I'm thinking I failed to teach him how to change the flat tire, so I'm going to train him right now. So I said, Austin, we're going to do this on the phone together. So we walked through and changed the tire. When he changed that tire, like four hours later, no, it wasn't that long. <laughs> he changed it. And he got in the car, and I could tell he felt like a man. He had accomplished something, right? And I thought, right then, I thought, wow, I never trained him. I should have done that. It's my job. So Cody was still in the house. He's like 16. I'm like, Cody, let's go outside. <laughs> so I took the tire off, and I'm like, we're going to change the tire. I'm going to show you. I'm not going to fail you like I failed. So that's part of our job, not just in those kind of things, but in life skills. God says not to the church to train your kids, although we're going to do that with you. He says to the parents, train. And then the second one is release means we don't keep them in our home forever. The Bible actually says in Psalm uh, 119 that children are a gift from God and they are like arrows that need to be launched, released. We don't keep them forever. Once they leave, send them away. Don't boomerang your kids. They shouldn't be coming back. Now, I'm, I'm joking. But, I mean, I remember when we took our oldest to college, we wept. All of them we wept. You know, and we were driving home just weeping because it was that release moment. And then when they got married and moved on, that is a beautiful thing. That's the way it should be. We're launching arrows. Why does he call them arrows? Because they're in a battle. And the family, according to God, is the center of what he wants to do on planet Earth. He's going to do it in and through the family. And so there's this training, training aspect from three years old and five years old and 15 and 17. And then there's this release aspect to do what? We're dreaming that as an adult, they're an identity-based, Christ-centered, Bible gps culture shifter. What's that mean? We're going to walk through this real quick. First one is identity-based. Explain that. Well, let me say this first of all. I think first of all, the identity-based for us as parents, I think that should be one of the goals that you, that we, that I know who I am and what God has for me first. Because unless that's, if that's not there, my whole identity will become who my kids are, what they're doing, and how successful they are. 
Because so many of us get our identity from if our kids are doing well or if they're failing. We feel like we're a failure if they fail. But for me to know my identity means I know who I am, who God created me to be, and how he loves me. And so to give that to our kids is like, I I said it to Olive last week as a three-year-old, my granddaughter. Olive, do you know how amazing you are and how God loves you so much? Do you know how much I, Nani, I think they call me Nani, Nani loves you? Like, you're amazing. And so I start speaking into her. This is who God says you are. This is what God, and I said to her, Olive, do you know that God put some amazing gifts in you? And she's so funny. She goes, is it a present? (laughs) I'm like, kind of. Because when you start, and as the older you get, you'll see that you're really good at things. And you're you're really, when you do things, you love to do it. Part of that is God's present to you because he made you so perfectly and so different from everybody else that when you start discovering that, it's a present from God. You can say that as a three-year-old. I remember my mom saying to me, you know, this is my family didn't really go to church. And she said, you know, you were an accident. Like you, we, you weren't planned, which could have a total, like that can mar your identity. But then she said something else. God must have want you here for a reason. You guys, that thought got me through these, like, God must want me here for... I didn't even know God. I knew nothing about him. And I now I look back and think, what a gift she gave me that was like a piece of identity. But God has something for you. And so, you know, you've heard us talk quite a bit. It's sort of been a dominant theme that I think Ken, uh, God has brought to Kensington, is understanding our identity in Christ. In fact, it's one of our core values here. What does it mean to be in Christ? Everything changes. We're loved by God. We're a beloved son. We're a precious daughter. We're a warrior. We've been given a mission. That's the kind of thing, again, Ann's saying, is like, if that's not in us, it's hard to impart that. But that's the kind of thing we speak into our sons and daughters. When they're three, when they're 13, especially when they're 13, 14, 15, 16. Middle school, high school, they're just being torn down. Nobody else is going to speak that into them. Our home should become the place of refuge, of safety. When they come in, it's like, this is where I'm built up. Everywhere else, I'm torn down. Why? Because everybody else is trying to find their identity by tearing everybody else down because they don't know who they are. So they have to prove they're better. And yet they come in your house and they have a mom and dad or a mom or dad or both speaking into them and saying, you are precious. Do you understand how much you're loved? Do you understand you're really good at this? God has a plan to use that gift in his kingdom someday, continuing to speak that into them. That's what we mean by identity-based. Yeah. It's, it's huge, and it's like this foundation. That's why I use the word identity-based. But then Christ-centered means this. It doesn't mean church-centered. It doesn't mean Kensington-centered. It doesn't mean religion-centered. It means the person of Christ is the center of their life. And again, you as a parent can't make that happen, but we do everything in our, in our, in our toolbox to, to help encourage and uh, nudge that along the way that they will discover for themselves who Jesus is. They can't copy or get your faith as a parent. It has to become their faith. But as a parent, we're going to talk about this at the end of the message, we live it in such a way that they want it because they see it in mom and dad or mom or dad. And then that becomes something they don't center their life around church or Kensington, but on Jesus that's huge because as they walk out of your house, they need that identity base, but also that centeredness of Christ to help them be able to navigate life. And that's why I came up with this crazy idea, Bible GPS. I know it's not articulate. It doesn't make sense. I didn't know how to spell it. I put a, a, you know, a D at the end. Is that how you spell it? I don't know. But it, it meant this. GPS is your direction. It, it gives you a, a course. And I thought the word of God our prayer would be that our, our, our sons and now our daughter-in-laws and our grandkids 
would see the word of God for what it is. It is truth. It is the word of God. And it is their deep GPS for direction. Every decision in our life, big ones, little ones, our hope was that they would make that decision according to the word. And I tell you, our culture says the word of God is not even relevant and not even true. And we thought, no, it is true. And actually, one of our dreams is that when our kids got to the age to go to college and when the Bible was going to be destroyed by their professors, they would know it well enough to defend it. Because people don't know the word fall into, oh, this isn't even true. And people that knew go, no, you can actually defend this book above any other book ever written. Let me show you how. Most people don't know that. So that was part of that GPS of the Bible would be every decision would be made under truth, not somebody's opinion. There's all kinds of opinions flying around everywhere. The word of God is the word of God. And then the last one was just simple. It was just this culture shifter. We initially had the word, we wanted to raise world changers. And we thought that sounds so overwhelming. My kid's not going to be a world changer. I get it. So we thought culture shifter, and you got to say that word shifter really carefully. Culture shifter means, man, we would dream that they would raise, they would raise up to be adults who are so secure in their identity, so centered on Christ. They know the word in such a way that it directs their truth that they could walk into any environment and shift the culture. And isn't that, wouldn't that be appealing? Like, I think about myself in high school. No, I wasn't that at all. I was like, what does everybody think about me? And we become so self-focused, but that's what we were saying. What would it be like that you're so secure in who God has made you, even if you're different or quirky or strange or weird, but you walk in the room thinking, I know who I am, and you're almost looking to who you can love. Who, who can I impact? Who can I encourage today? Who can I do that? And that only comes if we know who we are, that we want to walk into the room and like shift it. No, and our workplace and school and classes, it's not about me. It's about how I see you and how can I love and encourage you. That was our goal. Yeah, I'm not saying we accomplished that, but it was really interesting. Last service I said, it's like most people walk into a room and they become a thermometer. What's a thermometer? It records the temperature of the room. It's like they just copy what the culture is there, and they just fall into it. Other people walk into a room, and they're a thermostat. They change the culture. They bring goodness. They bring the light of Jesus because they don't need that. They, they have our, their identity. They know the direction through the word of God. They're sitting under Christ, so they walk in, and they're a leader. They change it. And I said the last service, I said, I heard somebody just preach this in a sermon, and then I got a text, and it was my son, Cody. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's right. It was at a midweek that he said that. And again, I'm not saying he's perfect, but it's like, that's the dream is that we would walk in, we would raise kids who are so secure in Christ and their identity and the word that they actually shift the culture. What a dream. So the question is, how do we do that? And again, this isn't our job. This is God's job, but he has given us the responsibility. By the way, this is a big difference. It isn't a privilege to raise kids. It's a responsibility. It's both. But man, when you realize God says, here you go, I'm entrusting these precious jewels to you. Because God thinks you're equipped. Yeah. And that's the thing that I used to think like, oh God, you made a mistake. Paula Andrews should have been raising our kids, (laughs) you know, because you look at somebody else like, oh, they're doing it so much better. But I felt like God was saying, no, I know you and you're the one that needs to raise those kids. Even if you're a step parent and those kids are under your roof, He's choosing you to help raise those kids because he sees you and you have something that they need. And I know some of you uh, blended families, you give your son or daughter off to your former spouse and they have them for the weekend and you can't control what happens there. Yep, you can't, but you can control what happens with you. And so here's what I would say. There's a passage in the Old Testament that most of us don't even know 
where the leader of Israel, Moses, is about to lead them into the promised land or, or get them to the promised land and then hand off his leadership to Joshua. And so he's speaking these precious words to the next generation, like how is the next generation going to continue this, the faith that we've had? And it, you don't realize that he's sort of given a parenting mandate and a strategy. Let me read it to you. Here's what Moses said. It's found in Deuteronomy 6. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. By the way, why is that so important? The nation of Israel, this is called the Shema, recited this every day. Why did they recite this? Well, in that time, religion was many gods, polytheism. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Our religion is one God. There are, we're, we're not a Israel. We are a nation of one God. That's who we are as well. One God, Jehovah. He says, so the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. And then look what he says sort of about parenting or mentoring. He says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Man, this is a strategy for any parent or any single person that wants to mentor somebody else. He basically says, I'll give you three thoughts. Right out of this passage. You want to train and release culture shifters, world changers, here's the first step. Recruit an army to help you. Yes. Three words that start with letter R. Recruit an army. It takes a village. It really does. Recruit an army to help you. Where do I get that from? I get that from the first three words. Hear, O Israel. That's what he says. Hear, O Israel. He's not saying to a, a specific dad or mom or just one family. He's saying to the whole community, and back then, the Old Testament families were, when you thought of a family, you thought of 80, 90 people, uncles, aunts, nephews, cousins, Men. just all the way through. It was this big thing. We are so individualized in our culture. We just think of the Wilsons or we just think of, it's like, we don't even think of our neighbors next door. He's like, no, 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 no. It was a, it was a village. It was a community. So he says, hero Israel, impress these upon your kids when you walk and sit down. He's saying, this is not just a mom and dad. This is an entire community coming around you to raise the next generation, sons and daughters. They may not have your last name, but they're still part of your community. He says, this is something to do together. Oh, and you guys, I will say this. For Dave and I, we raised our kids with our friends because our friends saw things that we didn't see and they would pour into our kids things we, we didn't have. And we wanted they them were, to speak truth, yes, too. Yes, like, tell us, what do you see that we're doing? Not just us, to our kids. Yes, yeah. right. And they were such a gift to our kids. So to do that together is a gift, even if you're alone as a family. Ask another family, like, hey, you want to be in a small group together? Yeah, and raise, raise, do it as an army, because it takes an army. It really does. Uh, one of the things Ann and I are just obsessed with is a TV show that we love called This Is Us. Anybody, anybody watching This Is Us? Phenomenal TV show. You talk about a, a clinic on marriage and family and parenting, it is a Jack. Uh, the father in here who adopts, he has two sons, and one of them dies on, on the day of their birth, and so he adopts a little black son, Randall, and now they see him as adults and as kids. It keeps, it's just so well done. Jack is such a perfect husband and such a perfect dad. I want to get a WWJD bracelet. You know, it says, what would Jack do? Because he's always saying, Jack wouldn't do that. It's like, <laughs> i got to measure up to him now, better than Jesus. But anyway... Um, there's this, this scene that was early in the, in the show last year where it's, it, it's, it's a clinic a little bit on the value of community and other people helping you raise your kids. And I thought, you got to watch it for, for 49 seconds. Watch the value of the village or the community helping you. Watch this. Take a look at, take a look at the people on this map. We are your community. 
When things get hard, we are going to be the ones who hold each other up. As Randall's father, you are his foundation. Come lie down, as if you're going to do a push-up. Randall, climb on your father's back. Jack, your back was built to carry your son through life. Are you willing to hold him up no matter what comes his way? Yes. Show Good. Now keep going. Are you willing to raise this young boy into a strong man? Yes. Are you willing to push him to be the best man in the world he can be? Yes. I love that scene. I look at you men, I think, I look at Dave and I think, you guys know the power you have. Like, I, I think as a mom, it's just natural for me to love, to nurture, to speak, like, worth into them. And I was always jealous as I would do that continually. I would watch Dave say one thing and they just like clung to it clung to words of life men you you have so much power and we as women i love that he looked over at his wife because i feel like you're doing doing that to me like you, dave, dave was always like you, you think you think i'm doing it okay and here's what i think i think so many times i would have told my kids get on my back where children need men maybe it's not your husband because he's not there but maybe it's another man or a coach or a teacher or somebody in the church. Maybe it's somebody in our K-Kids that they need to get on their back where a man is saying, get on my back and you can trust me and I'll help you to be a man because I've seen the power that Dave's words have of even saying to our sons, I want to know you. Who are you? And for us as moms to say, I don't want to just see your good behavior. I want to know your heart. And asking those questions of taking our kids out one-on-one and just knowing who they are. And for you, Dave, like for our boys to be able to climb on your back and to say, you are their foundation and Jesus is your foundation. And I felt like even as I watched that, I thought, man, my putting my sons on my back was change the legacy. I can do that. Because I was given the legacy of alcohol and adultery. It's like... I mean, it never ends. You know, change it. And and it didn't hit me till just now. You know, part of doing that is hero Israel means recruit an army. My mom recruited an army to yeah, raise me. My dad wasn't there, so she had coaches and other men in my and life my dad. to do the same thing. Her dad was one of them that's now precious in my life. So recruit an army means this. Let us, the church, help you. Let Kensington help you. I don't know if you realize, we called today red plus yellow equals orange. That's a ministry, which red means the love of the family is red. Yellow means the light of the church. Together, we equal something beautiful, orange. So, so often we as a family think, I got to do this on my own. No, recruit other people to help you. And one of those people is us. Kensington can help you. Right now, there's kids in Kensington Kids. Normally on a Sunday night without a snowstorm, we have middle school ministry, breakaways, and edge tonight. So what do we do? We're pouring into your kids. They're not back there doing daycare. You didn't drop your kids off this morning to a babysitter. And if you brought your little kids in here with you, I'm telling you, take them there next week because they won't, they'll like that so much better than this. They are pouring into your kids to help the, 
your, your army right beside you. So I'm saying, man, make that apartment. The people in this congregation that have poured into our sons are Yeah, I'm looking precious. at Rob Petron singing over here, and I'm imagining when Cody was in high school and middle school, all of his buddies, you know, for over at Adam's Man Who's, and they're all in our living room, and Rob is just pouring into these guys. You know, and they're fighting and wrestling, but they're also talking about it's hard. It's really hard to, to have faith when you're in high school and everyone's pulling at you. And Rob was always there. It's just, it's an army. And by the way, the average family goes to church 40 times a year. And I'm guessing that's not even close anymore. With live streaming now, I, Ryan Morrow, our kids director, who's speaking next weekend on this topic, saying, dude, I bet it's more like 20 or 25 weekends they now come. Because there's people right now watching us at home chasing their kids around. <laughs> Right? And so it's easy to do that. I'm telling you, if you think we're going to do what you need spiritually for your kids in 20 or 30 or 40 weekends a year, that's 40 hours a year. You know how many, how many hours you get with them as a parent? 3,000. So what is it? It's a partnership. And I'm saying, man, live streaming's awesome, but I say, your kids don't connect with people in a small group if you're live streaming every week. So it's a wonderful gift. But man, get here and bring them and let us help you train and release them. We are an asset as well as all the other things. This second. So here's the second one. We, we're running out of time. So, so then he says, love the, Lord your, love the Lord your God with all your heart. He doesn't say with some of your heart. So I just thought the first one's recruit an army. The second one is raise the bar. He doesn't challenge us as parents or young men and women to love the Lord. You've never read this in the Bible. Love the Lord with some of your heart and a part of your soul and a little bit of your strength. That's not in the Bible, but yeah, that's sort of what we do. It's like, oh, I'm good if I just throw a little Jesus in there or throw a little church in there, they'll be good. It's like, no, 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 raise the bar for your kids. Raise it and, and, and invite them to something epic in their walk with God. Again, you can't make this happen, but live it out in front of them so it isn't like some of your heart, it's like all in. Do you realize, I never knew this until I read a book years ago by, by Tim Elmore, a youth pastor out in California. He said, you know, the word teenager was invented in 1941. There was no teenage stage. We never had a teenage stage. There were children that became adults. And now we have this window in the middle we call teenagers. And as parents were like, yeah, whatever. They're teenagers. They'll sow the wild arts. They'll be crazy. They'll, they'll rebel. They'll just throw in. It's like, no, no, that was never God's design. It's just like, dude, raise them from child to, I mean, raise the bar. We just, we lower the bar. Just don't get anybody pregnant, okay? And don't get addicted to drugs. Okay, you're good. Okay. No, it's like, raise the bar. Yeah, I what think, would it say to be like, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength? Oh, and to give them something to live for, to give them something bigger than themselves and not just school, but to say, these are your gifts. How could your gifts impact the world? Maybe you do mission trips. Maybe you, I don't know what, maybe you go into Pontiac. Maybe we go down in Detroit and feed the poor and see the people. I mean, we live in a culture. It's so interesting. We give participation trophies to everybody for anything. I, I, Steve Anders and I coached CJ and his daughter Lindy's basketball team when they were in second grade. We went 0-12. We didn't win a game. We were terrible. They gave every kid a trophy. And one of the kids came to me and said, Coach, we were really good, weren't we? And I'm like, no, we were terrible. You, know, <laughs> you get this trophy. It's like we lower the bar so low. It's like just show up. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's raise the bar and expect greatness from our kids. It says, love the Lord. And then the last one is this. And this is so key. Because he says at the very end, he says, impress on them. Talk about him when you sit down at home, walk along, lie down, tie them as symbols. Here's what he's saying. And I think it's so, so important. He's saying the only way you can do this with your kids if it's real with you. Yes. 
So the last thought is this. Run, don't walk to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Recruit an army, raise the bar. But parents, single parents, single people, anybody pouring in it, run to Jesus because there's no way You're going to impress upon your children your faith if you don't have one. You're not going to talk about God or Jesus at dinner or when you're putting them to bed or when you're getting up or when you're driving to soccer practice. You're not going to talk about spiritual things unless it's an overflow of what's going on in your life. And let me tell you, parents, if you want your kid to be a man of God, they better see it. If you want your kid to be a man of prayer or a woman of prayer, if they never see mom and dad praying or in the word, oh my gosh, I'm not saying it can't happen, but the percentage goes down. It's like run to Jesus because you know it's well as I do, you're going to need his power to raise these kids. And I tell you too, when they're teenagers, they call you out on it, don't they? (laughs) Yeah. Like, hey, you you really need to pray or spend some time with Jesus. You don't. You should read your Bible. Yeah, I never see your Bible. They call you out. And so for me, it was like, that was an indicator. Am I talking about it? I remember putting my kids in car seats just automatically became this habit of praying as soon as I buckled them in. Get in the car, I just start, Jesus, thanks for today. Thanks for the, the, the amazing snow, Lord. And I go through all my prayer requests. So they saw, as you talk about them along the way, wherever you go, it's a part of them. If we saw a wreck on the road, Lord, we pray for the ambulance as they come that you would protect these people. So it just becomes a part of you. And I'm telling you, if I didn't talk about it, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my walk with God is so dry. And by, and by the way, you know this, but she wasn't doing that as a parenting technique. No, strategy. I can't, because I can't. It was an overflow of her walk with God. And trust me, we are not saying we have the greatest walk with God. We're so different than anybody else. No, we struggle just like everybody else. And we knew, man, if we don't run to Jesus, if it's not real with us, kids, you know this, kids can, they can, they can smell fake, right? It's like, who faked? You know, it's like that kind of thing. It's like, they see that. That's pretty funny. I like that. Anyway, it's like, they see that, but so... So that last thought is, man, of all the things we said today, I would say this, run to Jesus and ask him for a mission statement. Yeah. What would that look like? And then when it overflows, you are going to be talking about it at dinner time. And as you go to the, when problems arise in your family in crisis, they're going to see you falling on your knees and, and asking God for help. And it doesn't guarantee, if you do all this stuff, it doesn't guarantee that your kids aren't going to struggle. They could yeah. totally still struggle. I think the beautiful thing is that God says in James, if any of you lacks wisdom, come to me and I will give generously to all who ask. And it becomes like, as they're born, you surrender them. And I feel like every day you're surrendering. God, you love them more than I do. Here they are. I give them to you. Because it's never too late to love our kids. They could be out. They could be done. But for you to even call them today to say, do you know how amazing I think you are? is a gift. I hate to say we're out of time. I I would say this, though, to the parents and anybody that wants to run to Jesus. Use the things we offer here. Yeah. Women. There's a women's retreat coming up called Smash in in, May. May. Weekend after. Sign up. Man, get the man up. There's men's club on Thursday night here where men are finding out what it means to be a man of God and how that applies to your marriage. There's like almost 100 guys. This should double. It's like... We got a 40 days of prayer starting Oh yes! in a couple of weeks that we're going to pray for 40 days, 24 seven, every hour up till Easter. Join in with that. Go in that prayer room. It's right over here. You got to check it out before you leave today. Just go and look at this room. And take your family with yeah. you. Go in there and pray as a family. We've never once in our life prayed for an hour. Just go in there, sit down. We have turn things on the for thing. you to do while you're in there. It's all kinds of stuff. So here's what we do. We're going to take our offering as we show you a video of some teenagers here at Kensington who just sat down and said, How did our faith 
grow and how did our family have a part of that? So as they pass the offering, let me say thank you for giving. So many of you give and some of you are brand new today. You're a hero if you came to church in this snowstorm. Yes. But your step isn't to give. Your first step, if you're new, is to go to starting point today. But give to God and let God speak to you through this video. through us and to the people who are going to watch this video. And just be a testimony of what you've done in their life. So we love you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. 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 Cool. Why don't you guys share a little bit about how you guys met and became so close? We text, we call, we Snapchat, social media, man. (laughs) Bonded a lot, worshiped together. Yeah, when we're worshiping at Edge. He'll, he'll be sitting down struggling. I'm like, I got you. God's with you. And all that stuff. And we're just there for each other ever since then. He's just a brother who's got my back. He's the brother who's got my back. That's awesome. So how do you feel like you're, like what you learned with your families or through Edge and Breakaway like set you up to really bring your faith outside of church? Yeah, Breakaway and Edge is such a place where you just walk in and you're safe and it's literally like my second home and my (laughs) lifelong friends like my best friends are from edge like that Mm -hmm. I met and built relationships with and everyone who goes are just real and like they they want they care about you like you'll walk in and you'll be alone and someone from edge will be like hey come sit with me my friends like and I couldn't encourage you more to just go for it so one of the small group leaders at, at Edge, um, I met with her towards the beginning of the year, and she was talking about how when you get to college, there's one of two outcomes. Either you continue to follow Christ, or you fall off, and you fall into the ways of the world. And I think that just, like, really shifted my perspective, and I was like, wow, like, I only want to, like, follow Christ. Can you guys, like, recall maybe a specific moment um at home with mom and dad or the family where like you really saw your parents leading you to Jesus and helping your relationship with God. My parents came to this church because of the K-Rock program that was here and that was the year my parents almost got a divorce actually so it was super hard for my family. You know my parents like definitely could have taken the easy way out and like left each other but the service that was going on like the message that they heard was like in a marriage like you got to fight for one another and you got to fight for your family like sometimes it's going to be hard like my family isn't perfect like we have our issues a lot but because like we have God we have like a foundation in sixth grade my father passed away and that was probably the hardest times for me seventh and sixth grade that's when I really started to like think about thoughts of suicide and my mom stayed really, really strong while I got really low. And she would, take, she would take me to church every Sunday morning and talk about every single day how God is great and why he will never leave you no matter what, even at your lowest times. So what would you say to, like, families or students um, of kind of the importance of creating God at the center of your family environment? Well, what me and my family do is before dinner we pray and we read a little bit of scripture. 
I think that that's also really important because it's just a time that our whole family can connect and talk about God, which really doesn't happen because we're all so busy. I wouldn't be here without my parents. I wouldn't be at this church. I wouldn't even believe in God without my parents. And to think of that, it's pretty insane because my, like your parents have such a huge impact on who you are like as a person and who you become. And there's so much importance in like pouring into your kid and letting them know how loved they are and how much Jesus loves them too. You know, when I first saw that video, I thought, man, it's pretty cool. The struggles and yet the, the strength those kids have. See, there you go. There's the parenting stage right there. Oh, it's such a hard stage. You sit in church, you can't even hear anything because, I, I mean, I've been there. It's just emptiness is awesome. Anyway, um, but those kids, you know, were so, so honest and real. And yet I think some of you could sit there. I sort of did and thought, gee whiz, they pray and read scripture before they eat? Never going to happen in my home. And here's what I would just say to all of us, and it's parents as well as anyone that's going to pour into others. These principles we've talked about are, are, apply to everything. But as we end today and we even sing today, the song really captures, I think, the best way to end the day and start a series. It's like, whose kids really are they? They're not ours, they're his. And will we fail as parents? Continually. Will they fail as children? Continually. There are no perfect families, even though that looked pretty good, right? So who do we trust? Ourselves and, well, I'm going to go home and I'm going to recruit an army and I'm going to raise the bar and I'm going to, you know, run to Jesus. Here's who you and I can trust. God, that's it. They're his kids. And you know what he says? He promises to you and I, I will take care of them. Even when we think we failed or they've strayed and we didn't do a good job and they're going to end up on a counselor's couch or whatever because of our parents. God said, I got them. And so the song we're going to sing at the end, I just think it's the way to end the day. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's a song that says, I will rest in your promises. Not my promises, not my strength. I will rest. Here's the thing, parents rarely do rest. And I don't just mean sleep at night, although that's hard too, but I mean emotionally just be able to go, I'm okay, we're okay, because he's got them. I will rest in your promises. Whatever his promises, every promise is yes and amen. Every promise is, I will bring this to completion. I will make this right. You don't know when or how, even in the middle of that valley, God is still saying, rest in my promises. I'll put my confidence in myself, in my kids, no. In my church, no. I put my confidence in your faithfulness. You're going to sing that in a minute. And it's going to be more of a prayer, especially for some of you parents. And so I would like to do this. I didn't do this last service. I want to do this. Every parent, please stand up. I want to pray for you and then we're going to sing. If you're a parent, stand up. Single parent, uh, blended, you name it. You're not. And I know there's a lot of you sitting right here that said, you should pray for me too. I am. I am. But I want you to look and say, man, these are the, the leaders and the mentors of the next generation of the world. Do you understand how vital your role is? I think you do. And how hard it is, yes. But do you understand, oh my gosh, God has selected you and entrusted you with these precious jewels and said, I'm going to trust you as you trust me to raise up an army, a generation that will take our faith and make it even greater. Could Kensington be greater 
in 20 years than it is now? Yeah, because our kids are going to be ones leading it. Father God, I pray for these parents. And I know some of them are just, they've lost hope. Some of them are in a dark valley right now. Some of them, their families have imploded and they're just standing here, some as single moms and single dads and others that have stayed together. Lord, I pray for all the situations that you know so well. And it's so easy to lose hope. And yet, God, we got to take our eyes off ourselves, off our children and put them on you. And God, would you help us, even as we sing this song, to actually do this, to rest in your promises, to put our confidence in your faithfulness, God, because you are immovable. You give hope. You give power that we don't have. You do all this. And so, God, as we sing, may we believe that your promises really are true. They really are yes and amen. And even though we may not see it right now, it is true. You will complete and fulfill every promise you've made to us through Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. The rest of you can join the parents standing. Let's sing this thing together.
are yes and amen. And let me say, some of you need to come up here and pray. Just come up and release something. Our prayer team's amazing. That's why we're doing a 40 days of prayer 24-7, because they're leading us in that. Come up here and pray. And let me say this, we don't have a midweek Wednesday. We have it at our Troy campus, so you can go down there. And then Thursday night, if you'd like, we're doing a worship night out of 20 Front Street. Go sign up. It's only 100 seats available in there. Josh will be there. I'll be there. Cody's going to be there. It's going to be a wonderful night. Sign up and be there with us uh, Thursday night. Next week, week two of this thing. By the way, just in case... Any of you know people that might come to the 6 p.m. service tonight? It's canceled. Weather-related. There's no Super Bowl this week. Weather-related. So don't come and don't try and get the word out to let people know there's no 6 p.m. But we'll be back here next Sunday for week two of It's a Phase. God bless you. Have a great day. See you.